1: The Saturday Night Get-Together here on CBS Sports Radio. Jerry Mac hanging with you. Coming your way live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you need an expert to help navigate the home loan process, Rocket can. All right, uh, we're heading off to Wisconsin. You know, from time to time, I like to do drop-ins on towns that have very good storylines. Well, Milwaukee certainly fills that bill right now with the biggest one, of course, being the basketball team. I'm going to talk about them first. But I do want to ask my next guest about the front-running Brewers and that uh, guy who plays quarterback for the Packers, too. We're going to cover it all with longtime radio host, nationally, uh, Wisconsin Syndicated uh, member of uh, our staff here, Bill my- Bill Michael joins me here on CBS Sports Radio. Bill, Jody Mack here. How are you,
2: bud? How you been? I am doing good. We're kind of like at the nexus of the universe right now. If you go back to a Seinfeld reference, we got the Brewers who are leading the Central. We've got the Bucks who are in the NBA Championship, and we've got a quarterback who, for whatever reason, says he's not mad at the organization, but he's not going to come back and play for him. So, <laughs> this is uh, this is kind of like sports talk heaven
1: right now. It is. I, I'd say Tampa might be a little ahead of you in just uh, trophies and parades, right. but as far as compelling sports conversation goes, yes, you guys might be the pinnacle uh, right now, and uh, top of that heap is the Bucks. They're not quite in the pinnacle because they went down to Phoenix and lost two in a row after the mind victory over Brooklyn. They were down 2 nothing against the Nets, so I guess the Bucks are hanging their head on, been there, done that? Well,
2: they are, yes. I mean, uh, that's what you're going to say is, look, we've been in this position before. We can come back. We can win. And, and they're right. Uh, they're not lying. But when we went into these matchups, I had said when they played Brooklyn, when they were playing the Atlanta Hawks, I said, the Milwaukee Bucks, talent for talent, pound for pound, they're going to the NBA Finals. I wanted to see them face the Clippers. I thought they matched up better with the Clippers. Even though statistically they can match up with anybody, Phoenix, now think about this, Phoenix is 7-1 and one against them in the last three years for people that don't know. The year that they had the best record in the NBA a couple of years ago, Phoenix beat them twice. This past year, Phoenix beat them twice. They beat them, obviously, the first two games of this series. They, for whatever reason, can't get over the hump against Phoenix. Phoenix is a quicker team. They're not a team that plays quick. They're a team that plays methodical. They're very plotting, And they rely quite quite frankly, they're lazy. They rely a lot on Giannis to kind of cure all the ills. You saw them play their best basketball when Giannis was not on the court in games five and six against the Hawks. This team looks to Giannis to kind of just drag them along behind, and, and that's one of the things that's killing them right now, because as much as you call Chris Middleton cash money, right now he's cash refund, man. This is a guy that just, he, he just he relies on Giannis to be the man. And Chris Middleton, when he's asked to step up by himself, he can do it. But if you're asking him to step up to play Robin to a Batman, he doesn't do it consistently. It's the ebb and flow life that is Chris Middleton. Now, as soon as I say that tomorrow night, they'll probably put up 35. They'll win the game, and everybody will be back on the Chris Middleton bandwagon. But you just wait till they go back to Phoenix, and suddenly he's scarce. He's not existent. And that, in game one, he only played two and a half quarters. Uh, for the uh, first two and a half quarters, he only played a quarter and a half of basketball, he brought him back into it in in the third quarter, but the first two and a half quarters, he was nowhere to be found. So this team needs consistency, and for whatever reason, Bud Budenholzer doesn't wrap his arms around this team and say, Giannis, stop shooting from the outside, Chris, take the open looks, Drew, take the open looks, and play some damn defense.
1: Here And that was my problem coming into the series. I thought it was a poor matchup defensively for the Bucks. I thought it was going to be Devin Booker, because Drew Holiday is one of the best defensive guards in the league, and I thought they'd put him on Chris Paul, and those two would uh, kind of wear at each other, and Paul wouldn't take over and dominate the way he has against several other teams. Um, but I didn't think they had anyone. Middleton can't cover Booker, and I don't uh, think Conradin can cover him off the bench. I thought it was going to be a matchup problem. What I found out was it was a matchup problem Team-wise, that the Bucks just can't figure out the best way on the pick-and-rolls to either switch, which they did a lot in game one, and they got eaten alive with Lopez and Giannis, both 35 free from the hoop. So they went back to their usual way of playing defense, which is try and fight over and have the big drop back Well, then the Suns make 23s. I I don't know what the answer is. I think Coach Bud is one of the best coaches in the NBA, but I don't know if there is an answer defensively for Milwaukee against Phoenix. What do you think their best shot is? I think what you have to do if you're Budenholzer, you have
2: to look at Chris Paul or Devin Booker and say, one of those two guys we're going to take out. Completely out. We're gonna we're gonna just do everything we can to harass him, no matter where he's at on the floor. That guy, we're gonna take out. I would pick Chris Paul. Chris Paul's got some. uh, He's got a bruised wrist. He's obviously had some some uh, you know strength and conditioning issues when you talk about down the stretch being sick or with the coronavirus protocols, so to speak. He was out for a little while. You could maybe wear him down by the third quarter you got to take one of them out because if Booker gets 50, he gets 50. You're looking for the rest of the team to then, then to make up 70. And if you take Chris Paul into the mix, I don't know if they can necessarily do that. So that would be what I would do. And you're right. I cannot fathom for the life of me why you've got Brook Lopez and Giannis above the arc guarding when shots are going up and you're not getting offensive rebounds, they're getting quick. Aiden's getting quick offensive rebounds, quick putbacks. And this team, just when you start to get momentum, they give up those quick putbacks and it suddenly just deflates your balloon. So I agree with you. Why ever they have those two guys uh, on top of the arc, I have no idea. I would have PJ Tucker harassing. He's a junkyard dog, man. I would have him harassing. And then if you want to play big, bring in Portis. Maybe you sit Lopez. Lopez, when Giannis is on the floor, doesn't do a whole lot. Sit Lopez and bring in Bobby Portis, who gives you a boost of energy and can play quick. I don't know why Portis can't find more minutes because he's been productive when they found him on the floor.
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised that he only played five minutes in the last game. That that, that did surprise me, too. We're talking to Bill Michaels, syndicated talk show host from Wisconsin, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. Bill, I've touched on this over the last several weeks on the show. Uh, that nationally, the word was out that if the Bucks didn't advance, Coach Budenheiser could be on a hot seat. I didn't understand it. I didn't buy it. I didn't agree with it. But it was out there, and it was pretty significant with people around the league, very connected. Who should know? Well, he won the first round. He won the second round and come from behind passion, down 3-2. And then he won uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals, so they got to the NBA Finals. But now they're down 2 zip if they don't defend their home turf, and this is a very short series, do you think that seat warms up under Coach Budenheiser again, even though he got the team to an NBA final?
2: You know, I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, this is a guy that got you to a finals for the first time since 1974. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why you would I, – I think more so than anything, you would have to take a look at the personnel. You're tied into Chris Middleton for a long period of time for a lot of money. So I, I, the only thing I could see changing is maybe Lopez decides to, to to walk off into the sunset, or maybe you bring in another Pierce, uh, another piece, and suddenly you know luxury tax be damned. I, I mean I don't know what else you do. You can bootenholzer can't hit open shots. Budenholzer can't rebound the basketball when you're standing flat-footed. Budenholzer, all he can do is put you in position to win. Take a look at Chris Paul. They threw Drew Holiday at him. They threw P.J. Tucker at him. They threw Chris Middleton at him. And then finally they brought the defensive player of the year, Giannis, at him. He still did what he wanted to do. It's not like he's not making adjustments. It's just that the adjustments he's making—they're not working. Sometimes you just run into a bad matchup. I thought he did his best coaching once Giannis went out of uh, the series against the Hawks because in games five and six, that was a piece that that was a thing of brilliance that he put together. I thought it was fantastic. So I don't think you get rid of Budenholzer. I mean, he gets you to the finals. So I don't—I don't think you do that. But I think you have to take a genuine look at your pieces now. If. You know, if if you look at this and say, well, this guy just isn't making the right adjustments, he's not doing the right substitutions in your eyes, or something like that. Maybe John Horse would make a move, but I think at this point, Budenholzer most likely would be safe.
1: Now, uh, the Bucks were a very good home team, twenty-six and ten during the regular season, seven and one here in the postseason. We see how good both of these two teams are supported by their fans, whether they're in the building or not. The only thing that matters for the Bucks is they're going to be in the building uh, for games three and four. Does home field, home uh, home court advantage, make a big enough deal that the Bucks can get this thing even at two and two?
2: I think if you draw off the adrenaline of the crowd, and and Milwaukee is just well, Wisconsin, for that matter, is just itching for a championship. So. I think that there's going to be a ton of energy, but the first four minutes of this game will tell you how this game is going to go, in my opinion. I think the Bucks come out strong. I think that you start to get guys into a rhythm. Chris Middleton shoots much better at home versus on the road, so I think you get him involved. Holiday the same. And then Giannis, just, he just ignites that crowd. So I think they get a win. And if they get a win and they can go back to Phoenix with the the series all evened up, then you you breathe a little life into yourself. Remember, again, I go back to the statistic of the Phoenix Suns have been the only team to beat the Bucks consistently over the last three years if you gain a little bit of that confidence fantastic but if you lose this next game tomorrow night down at the Pfizer Forum it's over I mean and not yeah. only statistically historically does it say that but I think mentally you are completely whooped because you have no way to figure out how to beat the Phoenix Suns so tomorrow night is an absolute do or die must win down at the Pfizer Forum
1: I think you're right. Now, uh, one last thing, and then I want to ask you about if the Bucks don't win, well, maybe your baseball team will be the one that will get your championship because they're that hot. Um, a couple of injuries to the Suns uh, in the first couple of games. Dario Saric, backup big, goes out. Uh, the ex-Buck, uh, Torrey Craig, goes out as well. Don't know if he's going to be able to play on Friday and or in the, excuse me, in the next game, game three or game four which means they may have to go deeper on their bench for reserve big minutes, which could equate to Frank Kaminsky, who is a very popular Wisconsin guy. But he's mm-hmm. coming in here as the enemy on game number three. How will the fans handle it when Kaminsky is announced into the game for the first time? I get
2: the, I get the sense he's going to get a big ovation. Frank did a lot between him and Sand Decker with Bo Ryan. They did a lot, not just for you know Madison, but they did a lot for the state of Wisconsin in going to an NCAA title game. I, he is loved in this area. I guarantee he's either going to get a standing ovation or a loud ovation, at the very least, just for making an appearance. Because we didn't think, you know, let's be honest. I mean, Sarich, if he didn't go down, we didn't think we'd see Frank the Tank at all right. in Probably this not. series. And, and the only time we saw him was when he was hanging out of a sunroof, drinking a beer, waving to the crowd, you know, after they <laughs> ended up winning uh, winning the West. So uh it's good to see him coming back home. I'm sure he's going to be a popular guy when it comes to interviews, pregame stuff. But uh, but I would expect him to get a big ovation.
1: Absolutely, yeah, until he makes and a basket, and deservedly so. And then you're exactly right. But if he makes starts making baskets, I don't know if the <laughs> cheering will continue. I right, guess right. uh, your basketball team still in position to potentially win a championship, but so is your baseball team. Now, uh, I'm I'm a diehard baseball fan. I remember when Willie Adams was traded from the Tigers to the Rays in the David Price deal a couple of years ago. He was a young, studly, up-and-coming prospect. He helped the Rays get to the World Series last year, but they've got some other good shortstop prospects in their system. So they, uh, surprisingly, gave him to you guys uh, six weeks ago. And damn if he hasn't been the hottest shortstop in baseball, not named Fernando Tatis Jr., can one middle infielder who's a good, solid player but not a superstar player make that big a difference? How has it uh, – it, it's more than just a coincidence that the Brewers have been the hottest team in baseball since he showed up.
2: Well, batting average-wise, they're one of the worst. And, and they're still mired down, I think, 28th or 29th in all of baseball. But their OPS has continually climbed. Uh, the guys around him are starting to hit. And we all know what Chris, the effect of Christian Yelich had on this team – a few years ago. Their power numbers have gone up. They're, they're, I think they're now in the top 12 in home runs. As the weather has heated up, so has their bats. But you can do whatever you want, offensively speaking. And they have gotten a lot better. I don't want to negate that. But their pitching has been fantastic between Woodruff and Burns and fastball Freddie Peralta and what you've got in the back end of the bullpen and Devin Williams and obviously Josh Hader. And even though Hader gave one up the other night against the Mets, I mean, this is, pitching wins the championships, and this team has been fantastic when it comes to starting pitching, relief pitching, the buttons that Craig Council has pushed over the last few years, specifically when it comes to their arms. It's been a long time since we've had some homegrown talent that has come up through the system and finally began to produce off the mound. So... Uh, But, yes, to answer your question, he just kind of ignited the guys around him. And and then, you know, Keston Hira came back, and he lit it up for a short period of time. And then he went back into the dumper. And I think this is maybe his last hurrah. If he doesn't start hitting the baseball, they may send him down. He may never find his way back to the bigs. But they're doing this. Remember, Colton Wong's had an injury. Yellich has had an injury. Kane has had an injury. Hira was down for a while. I mean, all these players that you were relying upon all season long, Urias has been pretty solid. But... All these guys you've been relying upon have all gone down with an injury at some point or another throughout the season. It's been a while since they've had everybody together and the one guy that they needed to come in and do well was Adamus and damned if he didn't. So he kind of ignited everybody and as the old saying goes, and it's a it's it's an old adage because it's true, hitting can become contagious and they've just gotten big hits at the right time and they've getting they're getting tremendous pitching, which is and right now you can breathe because you got what, six, seven, eight game lead. Right now in the division, one of the largest leads in all of baseball, the Cubs are in free fall, and you're playing the next closest team right now in the Cincinnati Reds, and the Reds, they have a ton of offense, but their bullpen positively absolutely sucks. So, you know, as long as you can keep the Reds at bay, you should be pretty good because St. Louis has
1: gone bye-bye. Your point about the pitching staff is the key, is is dead on point. Um, and the individual guys out there on the mound performing get most of the credit, but when a group is as good as they are, usually there's credit to be shared. Who is the underrated contributor for this team's strong pitching? The manager? Oh. The pitching coach? The catcher? We know it's the individual pitchers that are going out there doing the job, but usually they're aided in that uh, accomplishment. Who is the unknown, unsung hero of the you know, Brewers pitch? That's a great question because you look at the guys that
2: I had mentioned and they're all been solid. The guy that we were really kind of looking at with a raised eyebrow was Freddie Peralta and Freddie Peralta went away this off season and he learned a, a, a breaking change. And that was, cause he was always known as fastball Freddie. He was always going to throw 95 miles an hour, throw it down to the corners. And you know, half the time it was hit out of the ballpark. He was, he had a he had a lively arm, but he was giving up too many long balls. And all of a sudden he found this breaking change. And it's kind of like, you know, you had, you solidified that third space in the rotation, and then you felt really deep and confident. And guys kind of fed off of his youth, his exuberance. But, you know, when it comes to the bullpen and the way things are worked, you got to give Craig Council all the credit in the world because he's been doing this now for three, four, five years. It's not just like all of a sudden this pitching staff got good because he's pushing the right buttons today. I mean, you remember what they did a couple of years ago against the Dodgers in the series and where they pitched one inning with your starter. And then after that, they went into their kind of, you know, bullpen by committee and starting rotation by committee, and they just strictly went with matchups. He's been kind of like at the forefront of all this sabermetrics matchup stuff for a long time, so if you really want to push it, maybe you look at David Stearns, the general manager, what he brought into this system, that pitching lab that they have out there in Arizona that is is, is at the, the cutting edge of technology and the way they utilize it, and then Craig Council, the way he looks at the numbers and the matchups and says, okay, not only can I do this, but I can also play with my gut a little bit, my instinct a little bit, and get the most out of my guys, so I'd say fastball Freddie Peralta has been the surprise to me, and Craig Council's been the button pusher that's been fantastic. Fantastic.
1: Bill, last thing: um, Will the fans in the game in game number three uh, during a timeout break take a peek up to the owners box to see if there's a guy in there, maybe with glasses, maybe with a Bobby Valentine mustache, as a part <laughs> owner of the uh, uh, Milwaukee Bucks? I know he hasn't. A- Been in town lately. He's been everywhere else, playing golf in Hawaii. I don't think he's made it back uh, in town in a while. But um, any chance that Suns part owner Aaron Rodgers shows up for one of these next two games?
2: I would say it's slim to none. I wouldn't rule it completely. I put it this way. I would give him a ton of credit if he did. Um, There is a, a little ballpark in Appleton, Wisconsin called Neuroscience Field, and that's where the Timber Rattlers play. And it's just about 40 miles southwest of Green Bay. And the the Timber Rattlers are a a single-A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers. And Aaron Rodgers does a commercial for a company called Bergstrom Automotive. He's, I think it's a Ford guy, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, long story short, they put his commercial on the big screen when the minor league team was playing up there. And it was the most loudly booed thing anybody had ever heard. Because people here are tired of the act. You know, the other day, you can kind of respect when Brian Anderson during the match asked him if he's going to be under center, and he acted aloof. Okay, whatever. But when he said, "I'm trying to talk to Tom to see if Tom's coming," hey, wait a minute. Tom got his guys together prior to minicamp, prior to the OTAs. He wants to. He's in it to win it. He wants another ring. That guy is greedy. That's the reason he's the goat. You were jumping in waterfalls with your fiance out in uh, out in Hawaii and wearing a shirt that says, I'm offended. People are pissed off at him. There's half this fan base says, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Mm -hmm. So if he comes back, he has to come back and say, I want to, and I give him credit, because all he's ever done is fight to be a Green Bay Packer for the remainder of his career. I think the way he's going about it right now, for whatever mountain he's put himself up on, he needs to figure out a way to come back off of it play football, because, I, Jody, I'll, I'll fill you in. About five, six years ago, I had a really good conversation with him, and he was worried about his legacy. He wanted his legacy to be, he wanted to be the most decorated by Super Bowls, a quarterback in Green Bay Packers history, and he wanted to be considered the best. And it's legitimate. He could be. If he won another Super Bowl or two, he would have as many, if not more, than Bart Starr in the modern era. And statistically, in, in QBR, he's so much better than Brett Favre ever was. So he could be the best quarterback in history. And to think that this situation, if he does not come back and resolve this, this will forever, no matter what he does, will forever be a stain on his legacy. And I cannot believe that this is what he wants.
1: It's going to shake out here in the next five or six weeks, or at least we'll get a much clearer indication of the way it's going to go. Uh, For right now, we have to just settle to see if we can pick them out of the crowd. Forget about where's Waldo, where's uh, Mr. Rogers, where's his neighborhood for these Bucs games. Should be a fun watch in addition to the hoops. You gave us great info on the hoops. Thanks for doing so, Bill. Always like getting you on the show. Thanks again. And we will certainly be in touch down the road.
2: Anytime you need me, give me a call.
1: Done deal. Bill Michaels, syndicated uh, talk show host. In uh, the state of Wisconsin, certainly, we're talking Milwaukee here with us tonight on CBS Sports Radio. All right, Jody Mack coming back with open phones. Hit me up, 855-212-4227. I hope that uh, Bill is right that these games can be competitive. Uh, I fear that they're not. I'm leaning toward the Suns making this one uh, an easy victory. We shall see. All right, Jody Mack coming back. Phones open here on CBS Sports Radio.